Welcome to Where RA Now, a podcast dedicated to catching up with former RAs and hearing where their journey of life has taken them since their glory days at New York University. I am today's co-host, Alyssa Barrett from Danbury, Connecticut, and I'm studying public policy here at NYU, and I am an RA in Clark Street in NYU's Brooklyn Halls. And I'm Tom Ellett, your other co-host, and I serve as the Senior Associate Vice President of Student Affairs. Alyssa, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here today. We're really glad to have you. So what is it like to be a student here at Washington Square, but then being a resident assistant over in the Brooklyn campus? It's really interesting. First, I was a little bit nervous, I'll be honest. I had never really been over to the Brooklyn campus at all, but... With anything at NYU, I think you kind of just have to take that opportunity, take that challenge. Um, So I did it, and this is my second year there. The students are really passionate, and I think I get to see a very unique community with all the students there being engineering, computer science uh, type students. So that's really cool. The commute has made me become really good at time management. So I think actually my grades and like everything have really improved with that challenge, like really pushing myself to do that. And now you're in a leased building as well. So it's a shared building with other colleges and university students. Do you interact much or do your students interact much with these other students from other schools? Yeah, my students definitely interact a lot. They have friends from, I think Stanford does a program there, Duke, uh, the Culinary Institute, different film schools. So they have they make a lot of great friends. Um, and sometimes at programs, students will come up from different universities and kind of have our leftovers and hang out with us. Uh, so it's really cool to get to see all those different perspectives. And you enjoy Brooklyn itself. Yeah, I love the area. Brooklyn Heights is beautiful, like lots of families and dogs running around. The promenade is right there. So I like to get outside, get like a good walk or jog in. So it's a really great location. And so for your career, we've had a chance to talk about it. Tell us a little bit about what you're thinking about you may go into. Yeah, so I'm studying public policy, but really have grown an interest for the service aspect of it and a little bit of administrative stuff. So I'm thinking of higher education as a career path, uh, kind of looking into different master's programs possibly in different locations throughout the U.S. I love New York, but I think it would be cool to explore different cities or areas and get to see how other universities do it and kind of bring what I've learned here at NYU to other programs. One of the things I always say to RAs here at NYU is go get your wings, fly from the nest, and then come back. We'd love to have you work here. We have lots of alums who work at NYU. So, And tonight's guest is actually going to talk a little bit about a career in higher education. Yeah, I'm excited to hear all about that. I've been looking over his work, and it seems really, really interesting to me. Who is tonight's guest? Today our guest is Ken Schneck, who served as an RA in several different buildings here at NYU from 1997 through 2001. So he started at Carlisle Court under Patrick Roger Gordon, then moving to Lafayette Hall, actually the first year of Lafayette with Elizabeth Hausman, and then moving on to Washington Square Village with Scott Leigh-Holy. Welcome, Ken, and thank you for joining us on today's show. It's a real pleasure having you on. Oh, it's an absolute treat. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing great. Thank you. Good. And where are you talking to us from? I am talking to you from my office on campus at Baldwin Wallace University right outside of Cleveland, Ohio. Wow. Well, we're going to talk a lot about that, Ken. But first, tell us a little bit about your time here at Washington Square. What did you study as an undergrad and then transition to as a graduate student? Absolutely. Yeah, I studied English there. I was all about the books and as much different British and Irish literature as I could consume. 
And then as soon as I became an RA in my junior year, I knew I was going to go right into the grad program there in administration, leadership, and technology. And it was pretty much a done deal. It was, it was a straight line. It was the only school I applied to. Uh, someone probably should have told me to come up with a backup plan. Uh, but I started my grad program there mm-hmm. about six minutes after I finished my undergrad. Awesome. Did you always know that you wanted to be an RA while you're here at undergrad? I really did. I started out in Weinstein. Uh, I had a little bit of a rough first year. I, I was in a triple in Weinstein, and it did not work out at all. We were really different, and that was a tight space. So I moved in my second semester into another room in Weinstein, and my RA really helped me with that. Uh, I ended up living with another guy who had decided really early on he wasn't going to be returning to NYU the next semester, so he just didn't leave the room at all. And so my RA coached me through that situation as well. Mm. So I knew pretty quickly, uh, especially when I became a sophomore and I got more involved with the inter-residence hall council and and was doing a lot of different programming, I, I knew the RA was the route I wanted to go. So you're an RA for years. That doesn't happen. So (laughs) tell us, so you're involved in IRHC in your sophomore year, I take it? Uh, In my sophomore year, yes. I ran for secretary of IRHC, and I think I beat a senior, and it was a really big deal at the time. Wow. Do you remember some of the people from IRHC, your advisors and so forth? Well, look, the the only name that was central to my life through those first couple of years of college was Mary Jo Russell O'Grady. She's the dean of students at Pace now. She has been my mentor really my whole life. Since I first got to know her, she was working in the residence life office. She, I actually think that our hall director in Weinstein had left, and so she was filling in there too. So she was all over the place, and, and she was my absolute mentor. And I certainly worked with a lot of amazing, amazing people, many of whom you've mentioned, but Mary Jo Russell O'Grady was just central to my experience there. It's great when you have an advisor who's really watching out for you and, and doing the work to help you acclimate to the institution. Oh my gosh, yeah. I I actually came out of the closet as a gay man to Mary Jo Russell O'Grady before I came out to my actual parents. And so she really was my NYU mom there and and, and coached me through a lot of great times and and a lot of times that I struggled to navigate. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, Were you involved in any other extracurricular activities while here at NYU? You know, I really wasn't. Uh, The RA thing ended up being quite the full-time job, but I I really made a life for myself off campus as well. (laughs) Uh, I was working at the duplex while I was an RA. I was a singing waiter there for many hours a week. Uh, And I also was working, there was, it used to be, I know it's not there anymore. It makes me sad, but there was a Barnes & Noble on Astor Place. Uh, and I think it might be a gym now or a wine shop or something. (laughs) It's a gym. Is it a gym? Yeah, Yeah, it is. It was the southernmost Barnes & Noble, and and I know, okay, it's a Barnes & Noble, but it had a whole different culture than all of the other Barnes & Nobles in the city. And it was back when they used to uh, insist that you wear a tie. You had to wear a tie if you were going to work there. And you actually had to know some things about books. So it was a much bigger deal than it was now. And we got all of the real hip and edgy authors coming in there because it was the only Barnes & Noble in the village. So I was working there. Uh, probably more hours than I was supposed to be working there uh, as a full-time student. So I I didn't have a lot of activities on campus because I was really (laughs) making my life off campus uh, to see what was out there in the world. Tell us a little bit about the staff relationships. And you moved from, you know, Carlisle to Lafayette, then to the grad area. What was that like, the teams that you were a part of? 
so, so different. You know, in, in my first year as an RA, there was a small group of us, but there were a lot of returning RAs, and, and they were such mentors to uh, all of us younger ones, and I still talked to so many of them. And then when I was a returning RA in Carlisle, both because I was a returning RA and because I, I knew that building, it was great to be in that role to, to be a mentor to some of the younger RAs. And then my first year of grad school, they, they asked me where I wanted to be, and I, I really said, you know, look, I'll go anywhere, except I heard they're building a new building downtown. I just don't want to be there in this new building. And so sure enough, they put me in the new building at Lafayette, and it was an incredible experience. Uh, I went from 40-some-odd residents at Carlisle to, gosh, it was, it was about 60 or 70 sophomore girls and one suite of guys. Uh, so it was a real great staff atmosphere. Uh, I was up on the 17th floor, and, and we really bonded because it was a brand-new building. So there were a lot of issues to work through of this off-center building. And then in my last year in Washington Square Village, it was a lot different. I, I had 102-some-odd graduate students who just didn't need the same level of support that, that undergrads needed. So we planned more social outings uh, as RAs together and, and got to know each other. I felt like that staff got to know each other more as adults uh, than, than maybe I did in some of my other roles. So real mix and, and very building-specific. That's so interesting. I know that every different building here has so many different cultures. Uh, you know, some buildings are really loud and passionate and excited. Other buildings are a little more chilled out. Um, what surprised you about being an RA? Were there any? Yeah, I, I think I think with Washington Square Village, that was probably the biggest challenge for me just because it was a little bit isolating and, and it was a little bit confusing when you're an RA with people who are older than you are and, and they're coming to you and saying, oh, she's not cleaning the dishes and you kind of just want to reply, all right, well, you're 34. Do you maybe want to say something first before I do? Um, so it, that, was a, that was a pretty challenging culture. Uh, but I, I got to tell you, and, and maybe I'm ruining the ending of the story here, I, I still see myself as an RA. I, I'm basically an advanced RA. Uh, so it was such a pivotal time for me to learn so much about how you can walk into a room and immediately size up, hey, what's going on in this space? What do I have to address? And how the loudest thing in the room is usually not the most important thing in the room. And I do that in the classroom. It's, it's all emotional intelligence and flexibility and instant adjustment. Mm-hmm. And it really did start when I was an RA there. Ken, maybe you can talk us through that stage of leaving NYU. Where did you go next, and what, how did you get to where you are today as a faculty member? Absolutely. It's a bit of a hilarious journey. I, all I wanted, all I wanted when I finished that master's program at NYU was to be a hall director. That was the entirety of my goals. I wanted to have my own RA staff. That's what I wanted to do. And so I had all of these interviews lined up. And I was really excited, and I thought I would get one of these jobs at, at a local New York City-based school and, and stay in the area, because I'm, I'm from right over the George Washington Bridge in New Jersey. So I, I wanted to stay in that area. Had all my interviews lined up, and then my appendix said, no, you don't, and my appendix burst. And so I ended up, yeah, it was pretty nutty. I ended up in the hospital, and I ended up with a, an infection afterwards. I missed all of my interviews. I was released from the hospital, and I realized, oh, gosh, this is the middle of the summer now. A lot of these places aren't looking, and I panicked. Oh, my goodness. I ended up, and I know this isn't kosher, and I'm not telling people that they should do this, but my reality was 
I actually ended up moving my stuff from Washington Square Village and was squatting in a room with a friend of mine at Lafayette who was an RA. And I was just kind of hiding out there because I didn't know what to do because I had no interviews left. Uh, so I put out just more calls and, and I got more desperate. But the great thing, and I tell my students this, as the summer goes on after grad school, as you get more desperate, so too do a lot of universities that are looking for someone. Uh, so I was really fortunate that Pace University in Pleasantville was looking for an assistant director of student activities and student development, which was way above my pay grade. But I, I applied and uh, Mary Jo put in some good words for me because she was already there at Pace. And I got the job right out of grad school as an assistant director. I moved out of Lafayette where I was squatting. I moved out of Lafayette on September 10th, 2001. And my first day of work at Pace University in Pleasantville was September 11th, 2001. So it was, uh, I mean, an indescribable experience to have just moved out of a building that was evacuated over the Brooklyn Bridge 24 hours before and to be working at a university. You know, I was so excited to support students. But how do you support students that you don't know at all through a national tragedy that was only happening a few miles away? So it was a, it was a real heady time. It was, it was traumatic for everyone, um, but it really helped me realize what kind of voice I had in this field. Um, I bounced around a little bit. I, I only stayed at Pace for a year. I then was so desperate to move back to New York City, and I ended up as the assistant director of Res Life at the School of American Ballet, uh, which amazing, amazing students, uh, probably the most incredible apartment I'll ever live in in my life, but the job just wasn't for me. So I took a chance, and I, I applied to be a dean, uh, an assistant dean at Sarah Lawrence College uh, right outside New York City, and just wanted to get some uh, experience interviewing and and. Within a few weeks, I was the assistant dean at Sarah Lawrence at 25 years old. It was an incredible experience, really passionate students, stayed there for four years, and then took another chance. I just wanted to put in my application, learn how to interview for a dean role to see if I could get my foot in the door. And within a few weeks, at 29 years old, I was the dean of students at Marlboro College in southern Vermont. It was an unbelievable trajectory. Stayed there for six years, loved it, uh, loved being a dean of students, thought I would be the dean of students for the rest of my life. I really just wanted some sort of plaque on a bench by a tennis court on some campus that said here was where the dean used to sit. Um, but after six years of being the dean at, at about 35 years old, I kind of looked around and, and realized, you know what, I'm, I'm just burnt out. I didn't put good boundaries on my work. I didn't have a good work-life balance. Um, the stress of being a dean of students really got to me. I probably was a dean of students a little more on an earlier age than I was prepared to do, even though I, I absolutely loved that job and, and did quite a good job, I will say. Um, but it wasn't for me. I, I just couldn't see myself responding to another crisis in that way. And so kind of looked around and said, well, what do I want to do? Do I want to leave colleges and universities? I'm I'm 35 years old. I've never not lived on a college campus uh, other than growing up in New Jersey. And I saw this position at Baldwin-Wallace for a faculty member, and it's a school that really accentuates teaching first. And at that time, I, you know, I had my radio show, and I was a columnist for the Huffington Post, but I didn't have a academic journal credit to my name. But Baldwin-Wallace here, that, that's not their thing. Their thing is, how good of a teacher are you? Uh, so applied here, and this is now my sixth year here at Baldwin-Wallace, 
just got tenure, just got promoted to full professor, and, and this is my life. Uh, I, I really like being in the classroom and teaching people who want to do this work uh, and, and also teaching them how to not burn out like I did. That's awesome. Uh, congrats on the new promotion, by the way. That's really amazing. You've come so far from an RA, and it's really inspiring to see that. Um, so what are your tips for students thinking about a career maybe in higher education like myself? First and foremost is for people to know that there is a career in higher education. It's, it's unbelievable when I speak to uh, various students who are coming through the application process, how they had that moment of speaking to, to Tom Ellett, speaking to anyone, speaking to Mary Jo Russell O'Grady, and suddenly the light bulb goes off wait a second, this is what you do for a living. Uh, and yes, this is what we do for a living. And it's passionate work, and it's hugely important work. And, and I truly believe that. I believe that, that working on college campuses, working in student life, working in academic affairs is world-changing work. This is when people are looking at their identity, many of them for the first time. And as a professor who mostly teaches about race, uh, this is the first time that, that people are around people who don't look like them, who don't think like them. And so it's an amazing time of growth and possibility, but it's also a time where people can feel really unsettled, and, and we're here to support that process. Uh, so I think people knowing, hey, this is absolutely a viable career option, and there's going to be a lot of people around you who don't know what you're talking about when you say, this is, this is what I'm going to go do. Uh, but at the same time, it's, it can be a really fulfilling life as long as, and this is tip number two, as long as you really have that work-life balance. And that's for RAs, that's for hall directors, deans of students, VPs of student affairs, and certainly faculty, to make sure that you have a life outside of this work. I think it's a beautiful thing when a college campus can become that home for you, but it also can be really difficult to separate yourself emotionally from everything going on during the day, especially if you're working in residence life when the day turns into night and then that, that phone call is going off at 3 a.m. So I, I think for me, the part that I really had to learn was to have boundaries, was to make sure that I have pursuits that have absolutely nothing to do with college and university life. And that's really helped me. I have to ask you about the podcast that you have. Uh, sure. Tell us how that evolved and tell us where it is now in, in terms of a part of your life. Yeah. So I was sitting, I was the dean of students at, at Marlboro in, in southern Vermont, and I was sitting at the 4th of July parade there in southern Vermont, which effectively is three fire trucks and a drag queen. It's, it's a short parade. <laughs> and they had a couple people walking around from the local radio station saying, does anybody want a show? And I immediately knew, oh, my gosh, I, I want a show. I want to be on the radio. And so I, I had had, when I was at Sarah Lawrence, I had a radio show with a student. It was called The Dean and the Inappropriate Girl. I was the dean. Uh, and it was a blast. We had a great time. So when they were handing out these flyers, I said, yeah, I absolutely want to do that. And all I knew was that I wanted it to be a gay show. Uh, I had finished my dissertation at that point. My dissertation was called This Dissertation is So Gay. Uh, I knew I wanted my radio show to be called This Show is So Gay. And that was about all I had figured out. And what I did was I started just reaching out to notable gay people, LGBTQ people in society, and saying, hey, do you want to just come on the show and chat with me about what's going on in the world? I promise you it's going to be positive and upbeat. Uh, I promise you it's not going to be catty. And I promise you that I actually have an academic background where we're going to have a substantive talk. And my goal was to do about 15 episodes uh, and, and maybe do it for a year. 
Um, I ended up doing it. I, I finished it about a year ago, maybe three days ago. Uh, so it's been over for a year. I finished on episode number 430, uh, speaking to over 500 guests for 10 years. And it was syndicated wow. on 30, yeah, it was syndicated on 30 different stations across the country. That radio show opened more doors for me. I mean, that's the reason I have books to my name. That's the reason I get to do all of the really cool things that I do. That radio show opened all the doors for me. So it is sadly not in existence right now. Uh, people can, can go to this show at SoGay.com and listen to every one of the 430 episodes. But I will just say I'm about two weeks from making a really cool announcement about a new gig coming up that gets me back on the radio because I miss it terribly. <laughs> Of all the things that you've done, Ken, uh, what do you think you're most proud of in your career to date? Oh, that is such a good question. I will say every time I do something, it's the most proud I've been. And so I, I like that that's been my trajectory. I, I'm not always sure what's coming next. I just kind of do the next thing I think I'm supposed to be doing. Colleges and universities have given me a really nice base to work off of, and I certainly love what I'm doing in the classroom. Uh, and, and so I'll have a class. I had a class the other night on Title IX. It was, it was with my second-year master's students, and we just had three hours talking about Title IX. I'm thinking, oh, gosh, I'm not sure how this is going to go. It was one of the best sessions I've ever had in my life, just talking about, gosh, why, why does no college have sexual misconduct figured out? And it became really clear in our conversations, and they were really clear on why this is such a difficult issue based on culture and, and all the other factors. So I certainly love my teaching, the radio show. Every time I spoke to one of my heroes, you know, I grew up with the Indigo Girls and, and Margaret Cho and all these people that I never in my life would have dreamed I'd be able to speak. So every time I had one of those conversations, it was amazing. My first book that I put out a couple of years ago, my travelogue, was, it was just incredible. As much as I loved writing for the Huffington Post, having an actual book that people could have in their hands of stuff that I wrote was pretty incredible. And I thought that would be just kind of my literary highlight. But these past couple of years, I've had the wonderful opportunity to write for Arcadia books. And, and those are those sepia tone books that you see as soon as you walk into the bookstore of, of Bridges of New York City or Amusement Parks of New Jersey or parking lots of Trenton. They're running out of topics. <laughs> so they started a new series called LGBTQ Modern Life, uh, Images of Modern America. So I put together the Cleveland edition last year in 2018, and I, I will say it was the hardest thing I've ever done and the most rewarding work I've ever done. And since then, I finished the Columbus edition, which is coming out this June. Uh, and then I just last week signed a contract for the Cincinnati edition, uh, which I'll be working on in the next couple months and putting that out in June of, of, gosh, I can't believe I'm saying this, of 2020. So amazing opportunities that, that always just come from, I, I just say yes to a lot of different things. I think you've crystallized for me this work-life balance thing that you constantly open doors for new things. Yeah. And that's what you're bringing into your life. And it's just a really neat and and creative way to investigate life from all different venues. So really impressive, impressive. I think it makes me a better faculty member. I, I, I certainly a better administrator. It made me a better administrator. I was I was actually an elected official in Vermont. I was a selectman, which is effectively like a mayor. And, and it absolutely enhanced who I was an as an administrator, uh, who I am as a leader. I'm constantly asking my students our key question. They, they get sick of me saying this, but then the question is never going to be, who are you as a leader? That question's irrelevant. The important question is, why would people follow you? 
because whoever you think you are as a leader, if no one's following you, then you're not a leader, uh, either on campus or in the local community or, or in the world at large. So I'm constantly asking myself the question of, well, why would people follow me? Uh, and, and for me, it's because I say yes to different opportunities, and, and I'm constantly trying to do my part to do some storytelling to lift up underrepresented voices. Excellent. Ken, do you stay in contact with other alums from NYU? And if so, this is your time for a shout-out. Oh, my gosh. I, I'm almost nervous to do that because I will leave people out, and there are so many that I still speak to, uh, so many of us who are RAs together. I actually told Lee Shalouche, uh, and Lee and I were RAs together in Carlisle, that I was going to be recording this with you all. And she said, make sure that you tell them about that night that we were on duty. And, and she and I, indeed, in two sentences, were on duty at a night in Carlisle and, and heard these students across the courtyard chanting, kill the RA. And it was so creepy. And it turned out, we didn't know what to do. And it turned out that they were playing a murder mystery game. And we were completely freaked out. And it turned out to be fine. Uh, but we were a little bit nervous. So she will be thrilled that I mentioned that. Uh, Jose Mata, Mariana Aparicio, Matt Hand, just Matt Bavaro, Ricky Lang, so many people. I mean, I think that's one of the things when you're an RA for four years. You meet a lot, a lot of people. So I was so fortunate to be in that position and to be able to interact with people who were so passionate about what they were doing. And I always just kind of saw every single RA staff as a superhero team. We all were coming from different disciplines, and, and we all had our own superpowers. So, yeah, that was, that was such a brief mention. I speak to so many more than that. Uh, but it really came from some pivotal times in my life. That's really cool. I hope to have that same connection with all my RA friends too. But you will. now we're going to move <laughs> Yeah, now we're going to move on to one of my favorite parts to listen to of this podcast is the speed round. So, first question, best dining hall at NYU. Weinstein. We used to have a courtyard in in Weinstein where we would play basketball. I wouldn't, but I would watch. Uh, and we had a, an amazing dining hall, but I think it's a little different than it was. All right, next question. Any celebrity sightings as an NYU student? I want to so not say that this was the big one, uh, but I remember <laughs> Joanna and I, uh, who was an RA with me, uh, we, we ran into Bill Cosby on the street, and it was a really big deal. Uh, now it's kind of like, oh, that wasn't a great one. But I will say my favorite celebrity sighting was someone that, that I worked with. And that was Megan Cabot, uh, and she was the mm -hmm. she was she was working as the receptionist in in was it in Hayden, Hayden Hall, and I was over there all the time. And like, what are you writing, Megan? Nothing. Well, yes, it turns out she was writing something. She was writing the Princess Diaries as she mm -hmm. was sitting there. So, she, an amazing person. That's awesome. What was your favorite New York City hangout? My favorite New York City hangout uh, was actually some of the LGBTQ establishments in the West Village. We would sing karaoke at Pieces, which is still there. We used to go to a, a space called Nuts and Bolts. Uh, that was really, really fun. And then I, I got to tell you, and, and people should be going there all the time, the duplex where I worked was unbelievable people who are more talented than some of the folks you see on Broadway. I was not one of those people. Uh, but you would just see people walk up to the piano and sing their hearts out. And, and I encourage everybody to go check it out. It's, it's such a blast. Speaking of Broadway, did you see any Broadway shows as a student here? I constantly was seeing Broadway shows. I will say that I was required uh, to see Showboat. Uh, my, my first year, we had a common read, uh, and we had to read Puddinghead Wilson, and we all had to go see Showboat. 
Uh, so I saw Showboat, but we took so many RA trips to Broadway shows, having grown up in the New York City area. That was a big deal to me, was to always uh, go to shows. But I will say that a pivotal memory for me was when I was at, at NYU, that's when Rent first came out. And you could not walk by a dorm room, a residence hall room in Carlisle Court, or really anywhere at NYU, and not hear people blasting Rent. It was such a zeitgeist moment. I think there were a lot of us who were thinking, mm, we, we're so bohemian, we're so Rent. And in no way were we bohemian, nor were we Rent. But it was a, it was a really big deal in, in 95 and 96 to have this show that was speaking to our experiences as LGBTQ people, uh, as people really kind of wrestling with HIV and AIDS and its place in society that had curse words in it. It was a really big deal for us, Rent. That's awesome. Um, all right, Ken. So thank you so much for spending time with Tom and I to discuss your journey and where your life after NYU has taken you. As always, thanks to our listeners who can stay connected with RA alums who are living the Dream School alumni version life. Ken, thank you so much. You're an inspiration. You're creative. You're innovative. Uh, you care. And it's clear through all the choices you've made and the things that you do, you're a real educator. So thank you for spending some time with us today. Thank you. Thank you guys for all that you're doing. I, as I tell everyone, it is a straight line from being an RA to where I sit today, and I am nothing but appreciative for my NYU experience. The truth. Special thanks to my engineer, Duncan Lemieux, and to the current professional staff and the alums like Patrick Roger Gordon, Elizabeth and Scott, and Mary Jo, who is still a great friend of NYU and for all of the people who are in higher education. She's really made an imprint on their lives. If you want to know RA's favorite books, go to whattheyreading.blogspot.com. And finally, feel free to tweet at me at T.E.L.L.E.T. for a shout out. Until next time. Remember, unlock the creativity you have in your own heart, your hands, and your brain. You never know where you'll end up, and you never know how you'll impact others. 